Welcome, everybody. We're back with uh, three plastic surgeons and a microphone. Actually, four. Um, doesn't count because he's Canadian from Toronto. Dr. Tong is joining us. So, as always, I'm Dr. Sal Pacella from San Diego, California. We've got Dr. Sam Jajurikar from Dallas, Texas. Dr. Sam Ree from Northern New Jersey, New York City area. And, of course, my good friend, Dr. Larry Tong from the uh, beautiful city of Toronto, Ontario. How are you guys today? Right. Doing great. Happy awesome. New Year. Happy New Year. Awesome. Great to uh great to catch up with you guys again. Fantastic. Um today we're gonna we've got a really fantastic topic. We're talking about the latest statistics from our main society in plastic surgery, the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. We're gonna go over a few of the results um for the top five procedures that are performed in the United States. Prior to that, we're just gonna go through a regular disclaimer. Dr. J. All right. So uh, for our listeners, this show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is for informational purposes only. Treatment and results may vary based upon the circumstances, situation, and medical judgment. After appropriate discussion, always seek the advice of your surgeon or other qualified health provider. With any questions you may have regarding medical care, never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking advice because of something you may see in this show. Back to you, Dr. Pachella. All right, so I'm just going to give you guys a list of the top five procedures here. And we can dive a little bit into the statistics. So uh, before we do that, I just want to tell you. So the ASPS is the main uh, society organization for government plastic surgery. So um, it sets ethical standards. It sets uh, processes for how we evaluate patients, uh, safety standards. So it is it is kind of cream of the crop society that most of us are belong to, or most of us belong to as plastic surgeons. So every year they send out a survey for ASPS members to describe their practice and give generalized numbers of types of procedures to perform. And these are kind of interesting and, and fun to go through because really hints at what the trends are across the country. Um, and, you know, we're a microcosm of the world. So really uh, gel with things that are occurring in other parts of the world. Um, so, uh, the, uh, so I'm going to give you the top five in order. So the roughly about 1.5 million cosmetic procedures, surgical procedures performed in 2022. The top one is liposuction. The second one is breast augmentation. The third is tummy tucks or abdominoplasty. The fourth is breast lift. And the fifth is eyelid surgery. So, um, we can kind of dive into the numbers a little bit here, but why don't we go around the uh, around the screen here and talk about just uh, you know, how this gels or how this reflects your specific practice? Maybe uh, maybe we'll start with Doctor T. Dr. All Chong. right. Well, thank you very much, Sal. Um, so yeah, this this you know this trend follows very closely with I I guess most of our practices. I think one of the interesting things uh, that you'll see is that. Um, that you didn't mention, Sal, but I'm sure you'll probably touch on, is that um, during the last uh, several years, the growth in cosmetic surgery or, um, or aesthetic surgery has really outpaced uh, reconstructive surgery. And um, I think that um, maybe has to do with uh, the pandemic. And I'm not sure if you guys saw that as well, but uh, during the pandemic, there was a very significant increase in cosmetic surgery procedures 
And uh, I'm just wondering if you guys uh, noted the same thing. Right. So just just um, before we uh, I can, just before um, we I talk can... about that, let me. Sorry, sorry. Uh, just before, just from the number standpoint, 1.5 million cosmetic surgical procedures, and 1.02 reconstructive procedures. So cosmetic procedures have outpaced reconstructive. So go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I think um, I think Dr. Tong is right. What he's referring to during the pandemic is the access to do cases in hospitals largely um, at, at various times sort of went away. And so many of us had to um, had to make alternate plans or, or, you know, sort of change our practices. And so for me specifically during the pandemic was the time I basically gave up doing reconstructive surgery. I had still sort of done some during that time, but the pandemic made it nearly impossible. The other thing too, which, you know, you hate to talk about it, but reimbursement in general across the board uh, in the U.S. for reconstructive surgery is slowly trickling down every year. And with the increase in demand for aesthetic surgery, I think most plastic surgeons are finding that it's, you know, not in their financial best interest to do uh, as much reconstructive surgery as they had done, at least relative to aesthetic surgery. So I think those two, those two trends, at least, you know, in my mind would explain why we're seeing this. This tracks with me. I uh, stopped taking ER call and stopped doing reconstructive surgeries probably about five years ago. And it was because it was a lifestyle choice on one hand, because I've taken call for 20 some years as you know, ever since I was an intern. Uh, and after a while, that stuff gets old pretty quick to have to come in at three in the morning for some ditzel thing. And then the other thing is, is the reimbursements going down. And if you look at it, that it kind of blows me away. If you ask people in the world, what is more common? Tumor removal, hand surgery, breast reconstruction, scar revisions, or cosmetic stuff like breast lifts, breast augmentations, liposuction. You would think there would be more reconstructive. There's more of a reconstructive need out there, but it's really not. I mean, there's 50% more cosmetic procedures that were performed in 2022. Yes, the pandemic played a big role in that, but let's face it, we're going where the money is and this is where the money is. It's crazy how much demand there is for cosmetic surgery, but we're just following what people are looking for. And we're also following what society is reimbursing us for. And if people don't like these numbers, if they don't like this trend, if they feel like this is not what we should be doing as plastic surgeons, well, then the game needs to change. The rules need to change. The way they set up medicine in the United States needs to change. So, so you could hate the, what did it say? Don't hate the playa, hate the game or whatever it is. Like, I don't know. Larry would know better. He's, he's more of a basketball fan. But oh, thank I you. Would, <laughs> but I would say this, like, what do you expect us to do as plastic surgeons? Like, we are fulfilling what is out there as, as needs. And to me, lipo, breast dog, tummy tuck, breast lift, eyelid surgery, they track for me as my top five types of procedures too. So a couple comments. So of anybody in this group here, I probably do most of reconstructive surgery. Um, and, you know, I, I have a kind of a unique perspective on it. I think, you know, I look at the ethical concerns and then, of course, the practical concerns with this. So can you make much more doing cosmetic surgery? 
yes, but maybe yes and no. Okay. Um, I think depending on the situation you're in, um, economically or financially, depending on the um, reimbursement um, group that you're with, um, the payer profile, reconstructive surgery can be quite lucrative if you dive into it way. And so, you know, in my practice, you know, I do a tremendous amount of skin cancer reconstruction. Those cases are relatively short uh, periods of time, an hour or so. Um, we can do a lot of them in a series. Um, and the reimbursement is not bad, um, but it's fantastic. So I, I've been able to find a really good niche with doing reconstructive surgery. And and from an ethical perspective, you know, I would say, you know, I I sort of look at this like a a continuum, specifically with related to eyelid surgery. So let's say we have eyelid complications. There's a fine line between cosmetic complications in the eyelid and functional complications. And so, you know, an ectropion can be cosmetically displeasing, meaning drooping of the eye, but it can also be very functional. And so, you know, we sort of work with patients based on their symptomatology, their insurance plan, et cetera. And so I, I sort of see this as, you know, as plastic surgeons, we need to own anatomic areas. You know, we need to own the face, we need to own the nose, we need to own the breasts. And in my mind, there's not a way to really own that unless you're really able to deal with disease, trauma, and complications. And so, you know, and I, I think, you know, I think we have to be cautious as plastic surgeons uh, because on the outskirts of the community, there are providers infringing on reconstructive surgery. There are breast surgeons that are now sort of doing implant reconstructions. Um, there are general surgeons of doing large abdominal wall reconstructions. There's head and neck surgeons doing advanced facial uh, reconstructive surgery. And I think as a society, we have to, we have to own that. Um, so, you know, my thoughts. You know, I, I think you're right, Sal, but I, I, what I would also say is when it comes to the role of aesthetic surgery, we've seen this for a long time as well, where you see general surgeons, family practitioners, otolaryngologists that are, that are operating throughout the course of the body doing, doing body and, you know, facial aesthetic surgery. And so we've, we've, we've dealt with this for a while. I'll just say, you know, um, from my personal perspective, I love doing reconstructive surgery. I always have enjoyed uh, doing it. My personal setup as basically a solo practitioner and not having the benefit of facility-based reimbursement. So for, for our listeners, you know, whenever you get a reconstructive, surgeon, a reconstructive surgery that's reimbursed by your insurance company, the, the provider gets a small, a relatively small payment. The majority of money actually goes to the facility. And so um, not having, um, you know, not working for a large healthcare organization where it's in their benefit to keep a large pipeline of those cases going through there. The financial reimbursement for me has always been largely limited to that small piece of the pie or the, or the facility. Meanwhile, you know, you look at what's going on with the economy. Inflation has grown rampant the last two years. So the cost of running my business has, has gone up. My employee salaries have gone up. Um, the demand for aesthetic surgery has gone up. So what you can charge for that's gone up as well. Meanwhile, reimbursement for reconstructive surgery has gone down. And so, it's been, it wasn't really a, a choice based off of the fact that I love doing aesthetic surgery that much more than reconstructive surgery. I love doing reconstructive surgery, just like I always have aesthetic surgery. The economic realities were in order for my employees to, 
to make more money in this inflationary environment, we needed to bring in more revenue. And that just wasn't going to happen by doing reconstructive surgery. I mean, I'll chime in there as well, because as you guys know, I trained as a craniofacial guy and I, and my first two jobs in practice were doing craniofacial surgery and pediatric plastic surgery. Uh, we all trained at Michigan and the amount of reconstructive training versus cosmetic training was way, way, way over in the, in, you know, in favor of reconstructive training. So you're right, Sal, we, we felt comfortable operating and we feel comfortable operating as plastic surgeons everywhere from head to toe. And that was something that our bosses sort of inculcated in us and sort of trained us to, to feel confident about no matter where we were, we, they often told us over and over again, we were the surgeon, surgeon, the best surgeon, you know, the best surgeon available out there because of the breadth and depth of our knowledge anatomically and, and where we operated. But um, for me as a craniofacial guy, I loved those procedures. I loved doing clefts. I loved doing big um, head cases, but the economic reality is that you don't need nearly as many of those craniofacial guys as you do uh, aesthetic. Let's just face it. And um, the minute I felt like I couldn't live in Manhattan or I couldn't stay in Manhattan, which is where the biggest centers were in my area, I, I couldn't make a living doing that by myself. Like I had to be part of a big system, like, like Sam said. And uh, without that, I had to make real money. And the only way you're really going to make real money out there uh, as a solo guy is you, you can try to find that that special sort of situation where you're doing enough reconstructives to make real money. But I would say the majority of plastic surgeons are going to sort of skew aesthetic and, um, you know, insurances and the hassle with reimbursement notwithstanding. Like you said, that's a big hassle. And it just is becoming more of a hassle probably every year. I mean, what my concern also is, though, is with these younger surgeons, like, let's face it, can you survive as a newly minted plastic surgeon out there by saying, you know, except for, you know, I mean, hand surgery, I think is one thing that will always sort of help uh, carry your practice when you start. But for everything else, like as a maxillofacial guy, you know, as uh, as some of these other specialty reconstructive guys, like, are you really, you know, do we really need a million more of those guys? Like, how can you survive uh, as a new plastic surgeon, I would say a lot of them are already looking at the economic reality and skewing faster towards aesthetics than than ever before. Well, let, let's shift gears. A well bit. said. I want to go. I want to go back to the uh, the zero. Um, the so, just from the number standpoint, liposuction versus breast augmentation. You got three hundred twenty-five thousand procedures in liposuction, about three hundred thousand in breast augmentation. And what I'm curious about is, is liposuction listed as a primary procedure or as an additional procedure? So it's, you know, if I'm doing a breast lift, I oftentimes do a little liposuction on the sides of the breast. If I'm doing, you know, a cosmetic facelift somewhere and I'm doing some liposuction around the neck, do you think that these numbers are indicative of liposuction as pure abdominal body contouring liposuction or as additional add-ons? Dr. Tong. Uh, I think these are probably listed as uh, primary uh, procedures. Um, I think that um, 
you know, the, the trend in uh, cosmetic plastic surgery uh, in North America is that most or many plastic surgeons who come out are pretty comfortable with doing body procedures and maybe not as comfortable or have as much experience doing facial procedures. Uh, I certainly found that to be the case uh, when I came out in practice. And then, you know, as you get more experience, you get more and more comfortable. But I think that's, um, that's reflected in why the, um, the procedures, the cosmetic procedures are, are more skewed toward uh, body procedures. But I think that, you know, liposuction is probably the most common procedures uh, that we do, even if somebody does a good portion uh, of the practice with the facial cosmetic procedure. I think the other thing is, is I know that there's a lot of encroachment both on the reconstructive side and cosmetic side in terms of other specialties out there, but excellence, I believe, always wins. Like if you are a really good surgeon and, you know, I'll be agnostic here. I'm not going to say that plastic surgeons are all really good surgeons or all non-plastic surgeons are sucky surgeons. Like if you're a really good surgeon and you demonstrate that, it shows. Like when I see Larry Tong and what he does with his um, facial stuff that he's, you know, we've seen his talks about or Sal, when you, you know, show your reconstructive, your eye work, like that stuff blows me away. Like you can't just take anybody, even a, a relatively well-trained plastic surgeon and take them to that level without a lot of experience, a lot of talent and a lot of skill. And so when I look at these procedures and I look at like, you know, am I worried about our specialty? Am I worried about, um, you know, encroachment or, you know, people taking away our piece of the pie. If you go to a program and you're incredibly well-trained, if you go out there and you're smart and you learn and you're, you're, you become more experienced, you're going to do incredibly well. Unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be more on the cosmetic side for most of the young plastic surgeons out there. Like that's just the reality. Um, I, I don't know if you're going to talk about the minimally invasive stuff, Sal, but I think that that's even more telling in terms of where the future of plastic surgery is. In fact, that's where I was going to go. Because um, Sal's question was, do we think these are primary breast augmentation or primary liposuction versus sort of adjuncts? Well, if you look around, there are so many of these, um, you know, chains, if you, you know, whether that, that, have, that operate in multiple cities that are doing awake liposuction. And that just sort of shows the general trend towards minimally invasive or lesser invasive procedures. Like, you know, the, you're looking at 325,000 liposuction cases versus over 8 million neuromodulators versus over 4.5 million, um, you know, fillers. Um, in general, people are looking to do minimally or lower invasive procedures at a rate that they've never, we've never seen before. I, I think it was almost 75% of an increase from 2019 to 2024 in terms of the number of neuromodulators or Botox cases. And, and I think that's a trend that we really need to be paying attention to um, because that's, I think, where society is going. As technology is getting better, as Botox and fillers are lasting longer uh, and the and treatments are getting better, we're just going to see more and more of that and possibly less, you know, less surgery in the future. And that's uh, I think that, such a huge uh, topic. Yeah, that's definitely true. Go ahead, Larry. Sorry. Oh, uh, thanks, so. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, part of the reason for that increase in numbers is also because these uh, minimally invasive procedures are generally 
much more accessible in terms of the cost and recovery. But I think that it also should be noted that uh, minimally invasive procedures do not replace uh, surgical procedures. So there's definitely things um, like on the face, if you're, you know, probably, you guys probably do some uh, something called liquid rhinoplasty, which is using fillers to uh, create a certain look to the nose. And I'll have patients come in and they'll, they'll want a liquid rhinoplasty, but oftentimes I'll have to explain to them what the uh, limitations are uh, with that, that type of procedure because uh, the, uh, the public um, sometimes has a view that uh, you can substitute these minimally invasive procedures for, um, uh, for actual surgery. And that also goes with things like liposuction. Um, well, you guys probably do uh, some cool sculpting, but I can tell you that that is definitely not a substitute uh, for liposuction. In certain patients, maybe it comes pretty close, but I think it's, um, it's important to know that minimally invasive procedures are probably more popular because they're um, easier to access. There's less uh, financial commitment to it. You can recover from them much easier. Um, and, and that's why they've been very popular. I'm sure the pandemic has uh, contributed or did contribute to that. Um, so minimally invasive procedures are great, but we just have to be aware that they're, um, they do have the limitations as well. How does this track with you guys? Like I know minimally invasive stuff like Botox, like fillers, all this stuff is growing and I can see it and I see it reflected around me and I, I see it reflected in my, uh, I, I don't know if, I mean, I've been very, I find the minimally invasive stuff to be sort of, I don't want to say boring, but it's, it's not what I feel like my bread and butter is. My bread and butter is surgery. I want to do really I want to do minimally invasive procedures well. I need to know how to be on the cutting edge of this stuff and do it in a in a really great fashion, but it's because I want to be able to offer everything to my patients, not necessarily because I love doing fillers more than anything else or I loved injecting botox more than anything else. Like, but I feel like it's I don't know how these trends are going to play in the future. Um you know, it, it worries me a little bit as a surgeon, I I I suppose. Well, they, you know, this I think we all like to, doing uh, bigger procedures. So, so this brings okay, me to well, you what know, I was going to say is we're surgeons. I think we got a little bit of a delay here, so it's, <laughs> it's gel. Who's who's delayed? Me or? Uh, um, all right. Well, here's what I was going to say. So, I think is that this on? We is this as on? surgeons like doing big, big. <laughs> we like doing big operations. That's why we went into surgery. But as a patient, if I had my choice between something that had less of a downtime and, uh, you know, I, I would definitely and less expense, I would choose that. I can only say that, you know, in, in my practice, because we do have a really large med spa and we're about to undergo a huge expansion of it. The revenue growth in the med spa over the last five years has been about 300 percent. Like it has exploded and it's and it's Botox and fillers. I mean, we have five full-time injectors there it's radio frequency treatments it's laser treatments it's um i mean there's a, there's a huge 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 demand for this and most of these procedures are not being done 
by board certified plastic surgeons. In fact, most of them aren't even done by physicians in the US. They're being done by nurse injectors, estheticians, you name it. So what we may like doing as surgeons doesn't necessarily jive with what people want. I think the prediction so we, for me, it, it, just for my last thing to say is, is that if you are an aesthetic plastic sur or an a plastic surgeon does a lot of aesthetics, you had better set up a med spa. You had better set up ancillary services to do minimally invasive stuff because it's it's only going to grow. And I think your trend, Sam, of what you just mentioned in your um, in your practice and in your business is what most young plastic surgeons should be following as their strategy or blueprint for success. If you don't, if you don't have some toe or foot or big part of your practice in growing your participation in minimally invasive procedures, you're going to, you're going to be missing out. Well, gents, we're running we about 20. All right. We're, now he's ready. <laughs> we're running about 25 minutes. So um, we're about to hit their, our timing here. So, well, we want to thank uh, all of our uh, surgeons here today. And that was great chatting about the latest trends. So otherwise, we'll be signing off.